It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Lakers Tonight is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. You get great odds in markets for the NBA, NHL, college, and so much more. It's America's number one sportsbook. It's super easy to use. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. If you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with promo code JasonT so they know I sent you. 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Louisiana, permitted parishes only, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. one 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY to 467-369 in New York. In Tennessee Redline, dial 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia.
All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is very good to see all of you back here on the live shows, just like we were doing all season long. We're going to have Carson back today, too. Going to dive into all things NBA free agency, including this Kevin Durant drama and this Kyrie Irving drama. I'm going to share with you guys six moves that I either loved or hated, and we'll get into the weeds a little bit. And then all of you guys that are watching at the end, for as long as we feel like it, we're going to be taking questions from the audience. So drop some questions in the chat, and later on in the show, we will be hearing from you guys, and we will get into your favorite moves. Before we get started, if you guys could uh, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our content, as well as following me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any more of my video content, as well as show announcements, things along those lines. We are going to get started with KD. As I have been talking about a lot since the end of the season, the playoffs are all revealing. There is no hiding from that stage. Whatever there is to learn about your basketball team, we're going to learn on that stage. And the Nets were clearly different on that stage than any of the other teams that performed. Everybody else managed to win at least one basketball game. Now, don't get me wrong. They caught a bad draw. But when you've got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving on your team, you expect to be able to get a win, especially with as flawed as that Boston team was. And them damn near losing to Milwaukee and them damn near losing to Miami and them blowing three games in a row the way they did against the Warriors, that was a series where the Nets should have been able to be more competitive. Did you guys feel like the Nets were one Ben Simmons away from getting the job done? I didn't think that was the case. And I think that's a big part of why the Nets played hardball with Kyrie. Because you put up with the drama if there's a trophy at the end of it. Just ask every team that's dealt with with LeBron James over the years. But two years ago, Kyrie Irving took two separate personal leaves of absence for no particular reason. And one time was even caught partying with his family during that stretch. And, you know, if things go well, you looked at something like that over. But they didn't. This past year, the Lakers, or excuse me, the Nets had no business playing the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs. With as talented as that team was, they should have had a higher seed. They should have been able to play a team like Chicago or, you know, uh, uh, any of those lower seeds in the Eastern Conference to get more time for the team to get healthy and ready as they made a deeper playoff run. But that's not what happened. They had to play the Celtics in the first round. Why? Because Kyrie Irving refused to get the vaccine, made a big spectacle out of it, missed a huge chunk of the season, and the Nets ended up being the seven seed. And so when they lost, all of a sudden, Josiah and Sean Marks and these guys in the uh, Brooklyn Nets front office, they're sick of it because the drama was no longer worth it. So they played hardball with Kyrie Irving. And when they played hardball with Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving tried to leverage the Lakers against them with that alleged $6 million taxpayer mid-level exception that he was going to take. The Nets were like, cool, go ahead, take it. He didn't take it. He opted in. And once again, the, the Nets were poised to go at it again this season. And it was only a matter of time before someone like KD, who cares about the basketball more than anything else, would look at this situation and read the writing on the wall, which is that the Nets were not good enough. Boston's going to be better next year. Tatum and Brown will be one year better. They've learned a lot from this playoff run. 
you know, they're going to be addressing their ball handling concerns that were problematic as they made their towards the end of their playoff run. They're going to be better. Milwaukee with Chris Middleton is going to be significantly better. I loved the Joe, Eng- Joe Ingles pick there or move there. We're going to get into them a little bit deeper later on in the show. Miami is poised to uh, uh, potentially make some moves this offseason. The East is going to be better. Brooklyn's not good enough. And Kevin Durant read the writing on the wall. He accepted reality and he demanded a trade. And I'm happy for him in the sense that he seems to finally be getting his priorities right. Because he went to Golden State because he prioritized the basketball. He cared more about what his role on that team would be, the ease and the free-flowing nature with which he would be able to play the game of basketball. He cared about that so much more than anything else. And unfortunately... Because things went the way they did while he was there, he started to start caring about other stuff, like the narrative and what all of you think about what he did while he was there. And it allowed him to lose sight of that priority, and he chased a situation based on the narrative instead of based on the basketball. So he partnered with his friend, Kyrie Irving, who obviously was proven to be an unreliable teammate, just like he was in Cleveland, just like he was in Boston. And as a result of that, because he did not prioritize the basketball, he found himself in a situation where he was at a disadvantage on the basketball court, where he had to play, you know, two years ago, the best basketball he's ever played in his life just to lose to Milwaukee in seven. Or this year, to run into a situation against Boston where it doesn't seem like they have enough horses. And so it's good to see that he accepted that reality. Now, the question that I have is I wonder where the relationship with Kyrie is at. I believe that him and Kyrie are still close, but I think Kyrie, I think Kevin has at least come to terms with the fact that maybe that partnership isn't the same. You could be friends with somebody, but not be good business partners. And I believe he's come to terms with that. So the question is, where is KD going to end up? Now, he put as his prior, prioritized destinations, his favorite destinations, Miami and Phoenix. I don't necessarily understand the draw for Brooklyn there. Because if I'm Brooklyn and I'm getting back Tyler Harrow and salary filler and a bunch of picks, Tyler Harrow's not moving the needle for me. If I'm going to Phoenix and I'm getting DeAndre Ayton on a sign and trade max, and I'm getting Mikhail Bridges, who's very good, but he's not a star and he makes 20 million a year, that's not moving the needle for me. And again, with DeAndre Ayton, and I really like DeAndre Ayton, he plays the most replaceable position in the NBA. If you're not Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid, I can probably get 70% of your production for a tiny fraction of the salary. And so the question is, if you think DeAndre Ayton can be Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, then great. The Suns are your partner. Go after DeAndre Ayton. But I would imagine that Sean Marks does not think that DeAndre Ayton is Nikola Jokic or that DeAndre Ayton is Joel Embiid. So as much as KD wants to go to those destinations, I don't necessarily see the assets there as being worthwhile for Brooklyn. So how much cachet does KD have? Has KD is the relationship broken between Kyrie and Sean Marks and Josai, but solid and healthy between KD and those guys? I don't know. Because if that bridge is burned or if that bridge is not in great shape, Then if I'm Brooklyn, I'm looking at those situations and I'm going, that's great, KD, but I'm going to where the better assets are. We're going to find out a lot about KD's cachet with the Brooklyn front office 
in this next couple of weeks, depending on where he gets traded. Because the way I would look at it, KD should theoretically fetch the largest trade package in the history of basketball. This is not James Harden coming from the Rockets. This is not Paul George. This is not Kawhi Leonard after he had knee tendinopathy. This is not any of those situations. This is Kevin freaking Durant at the peak of his powers under contract for four more years. And even if you believe he's aging, at least two or three of those years, he's going to be a top five player. So in theory, he should bring back a ridiculous package. If I am Brooklyn, I want draft picks. I want absolute slam dunk, home run, guaranteed great young players to go with it. And I'm not getting that from Miami or from Phoenix. If I'm Brooklyn, I'm calling Toronto and I want Scotty Barnes. I'm calling New Orleans and I want Zion Williamson and all the picks. Because then at the very least, I can come back to this situation with a bona fide young superstar prospect, a sure thing, and the hope of what those draft picks might be. I get it. I get on Laker fans about this all the time because they want to be protective of their assets and they go, oh, well, that 2027 first or, oh, that 2029 first, that's the future of the franchise. What are the real statistical chances that a 2027 first is going to be a top five player in the NBA? Even if it's a lottery pick, it's extremely unlikely. Zion Williamson and Scotty Barnes both project to be guys who are probably on the low end for at least a few years in the top 10. That's the type of prospect they are. So if you're a Toronto fan, why would you want to give up Scotty Barnes? For that exact same reason. If you're a New Orleans fan, why would you want to give up Zion? For that exact same reason. It's not guaranteed that they will develop into that level of prospect. But right now, you're a playoff team without that guy. Zion Williamson was out, and the Pelicans pushed the Suns to six games and looked really good. Herb Jones and Trey Murphy look like awesome 3 and D wings for them. Brandon Ingram looks like a star in the making. CJ McCollum would be as good of a second or third option as you'll find in the league. Toronto with Pascal Siakam, you know, OG Ananobi, Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, they've got all of this talent there. If you can convert Zion or Scotty Barnes into Kevin freaking Durant, you become a top-tier contender. And for both of those teams, it was the alpha dog talent that was lacking for them in this playoff run. So I get it. The excitement behind players like that would cause you to have some hesitation there. But if I'm Brooklyn, that to me is the starting point of where I'm looking. And if I'm New Orleans, especially New Orleans because of Zion's health issues and his weight issues, I would be willing to flip those guys for KD in a heartbeat. Now, what you guys might think is, why in the world would Kevin Durant want to go to Toronto? Why in the world would Kevin Durant want to be buried down in New Orleans? He's the only guy that I feel like would want that. You know why? Because Kevin Durant cares and only cares about the basketball. If, you, if I could, and you know, Brandon Ingram, for instance, is very much a hoop head, is very much wired just like KD, wasn't into the drama in LA, just wanted to focus on the hoops. That might be the perfect situation for him. KD is kind of uniquely mentally equipped to go to a smaller town relative to the rest of the NBA and play with a guy like Brandon Ingram and play with a guy like CJ McCollum and be happy. 
But most importantly, for both Toronto and for both New Orleans, they provide KD with a solid basketball situation where he could focus on what he's great at. When he was in Oklahoma City and when he went to Brooklyn, he had to do everything. Because in Oklahoma City, they didn't have enough talent. And in Brooklyn, they prioritized the wrong kinds of talent. They focused on offensive skill instead of on size and athleticism. And then they ended up getting physically dominated by the Boston Celtics. If he goes down to, to New Orleans or goes up to Toronto, he can fit into a team that will do the dirty work for him, play for great coaches, and be able to just fall into a role and be great at what he's great at, which is exactly what he did when he was in Golden State. So yes, I understand why he wants to go to Miami or Phoenix, but I don't think they're realistic destinations. And the two that I would keep my eye on is Toronto and New Orleans. Who the hell knows what's going to happen though? Intel is that every single team is calling the Nets. Intel is that they're prioritizing assets as they should. This whole experiment with KD and Kyrie has been a disaster. Why would they do them any favors? Let's move on to Kyrie. I don't have any intel on this other than the stuff you've heard on uh, from your regular import reporters. But it's starting to feel like almost like an 80% chance that Kyrie is going to be a Laker. The only other team that it really makes any sense for is Dallas, having lost Jalen Brunson. But the intel there is that they're more interested in building wing depth. And that they like the idea of maybe having Goran Dragic sign, uh, fall into that third role and upgrading Spencer Dinwiddie into the Jalen Brunson role. Not a lot of teams are willing to put up with the Kyrie circus. The Lakers don't have the luxury of turning away talent because they are at a talent deficiency. So it makes sense. The reports you're hearing from Brian Windhorst and from Stephen A. Smith that Kyrie wants to be a Laker, they actually make sense. And it's it, it, and as far as the basketball fit, we already know how the LeBron-Kyrie thing works. And most importantly, just to get into a little bit of an X's and O's uh, fit there, one of the things that causes problems for the Lakers over the last couple of years with their high pick and roll with Anthony Davis is they haven't been able to run it. Why? Because when they run it with LeBron, they just switch because it's two forwards. And when they ran it with Russ, or when they ran it with Dennis Schroeder, or when they ran it with Rajon Rondo, the three of those guys can't shoot, so you can run dramatic drop coverage against it, and you can have the guards go underneath the screen. Kyrie Irving is a ball handler that can run pick and roll with Anthony Davis. And one not allow you to switch because they're two completely different defensive assignments. And two, force you to chase over the top of the screen and bring your big up because Kyrie will pull every single time coming off of that screen. It completely flips the dynamic of the way you can guard Anthony Davis as a screener and will open up so many more things for Anthony Davis as a role man or for Kyrie Irving coming off of those screens. To me, it's a, a home run basketball fit. We're going to get a little bit more into the other moves the Lakers made later. But again, as is always the case with Kyrie, the idea of him is better than the reality of him. The problem is, is that when he's on the floor, it looks great, but he's not always on the floor. The problem is, is that even when things are going well, his brain can be elsewhere. Famously in the 2017 playoff run when the Cavs were clicking and beating the shit out of everybody, Kyrie Irving was emotionally pulling away from the team. That's the risk. The problem is the Lakers don't have the flexibility to say no to him because of their lack of talent. 
as far as the machinations of the trade, the, the problem is, is you can't just trade Russ for him because Russ makes 11 million more dollars and is a significantly worse basketball player. But a first round pick feels like too much for Kyrie, right? When no one else is bidding on it. So you got to find a delicate balance there. The way I see it, there are two options. You can either ask for Seth Curry in the deal and include the first round pick, or you can remove the first round pick entirely and offer to take the Joe Harris contract. Now, Joe Harris was an excellent 3 and D player two years ago. And the 19 to 20 million I think he makes over the next two seasons doesn't seem like that big of a deal for an excellent 3 and D player. But I have heard from people that would know that his ankle is still nowhere near ready to go. And he may not be ready to play until about halfway through this next season. So he's actually become a bad contract. So that might be an interesting way to get a player back that you won't be able to use for a little while, but that might be available for your next playoff run and save that first round pick so that you can use it for something else. But either way, it just feels like all the momentum is heading towards Kyrie going to the Lakers. And that, to me, feels like a realistic option. And also, Kyrie's doing the work behind the scenes through his agent and letting everybody know that's where he wants to go. And more often than not, that will scare away teams when it comes to paying real assets. When push comes to shove, I think Rob would do it for a first-round pick anyway. But I do think Kyrie will end up with the Lakers, and that might be just the thing that can get them back into the mix of things with their talent. Okay, so before we bring Carson on, a couple quick announcements. You guys that are listening, if you guys could please subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel, I would sincerely appreciate that. Please like this video. It really helps us a lot. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any more of our show announcements and things along those lines. And last but not least, if you missed part of this for whatever reason and you can't get back to YouTube, subscribe to our podcast feed, which for the time being is under Lakers tonight. Lastly, we are going to, at the end, Carson's going to come on and we're going to go over some moves, uh, other free agent moves around the league. But we are going to do a mailbag at the end. So submit your questions in the chat. We will get to you guys after we get through these moves. Carson, what's up, man? It is good to see your face again. It is good to see you as well. And it is a great time to be an NBA fan, as always, because... You never know what's going to happen, it seems. Felt like this was going to be kind of a boring offseason for a couple days, and then obviously we have the KD news. So, like you said, we're going to walk through some of the most interesting moves of the day, and we're going to play a game called Love It or Hate It. You are going to tell me if you love or hate the moves, and we will start with the slew of signings that the Lakers made today. They brought in Damian Jones on a two-year deal, and Lonnie Walker the fourth, Juan Toscano Anderson, and Troy Brown Jr. all on one-year deals. So, Jason... Do you love that or do you hate that for the Lakers? I'm f- I love the Damian Jones signing and I hate the Lonnie Walker signing. The mm-hmm. Troy Brown Jr. and Juan Toscano Anderson signings, these are veteran minimum contracts. <clears throat> so when it comes to this sort of thing, there's not an exact science there. Everything is a complete gamble. It's it's either old guys that a good percentage of them don't pan out and then a good percentage of them do. So it's like, it's a total coin flip. You know, it's like you get a mellow who ends up fitting great for you as a spot of three point shooter, but then you get like a, uh, you know, you, you'll end up getting a, um, um, some other old guy that won't pan out like a, like a, a, De- a, De- a Deandre Jordan, for instance. Um, the young guys, it's a completely different story. You're usually getting a great deal of athleticism and enthusiasm 
and guys who play hard for you and stay bought in, but they're usually too inexperienced and too inconsistent to be reliable for you in a rotation, especially when you get into the postseason. But it is what it is. The Lakers had, though, this mid-level exception that every team gets once a season. And I had said many times throughout the end of the season that they had to spend it on a wing that was at least 6'8", that could guard multiple positions, and that could absolutely certainly be in your late game rotate your late like postseason rotation and close games for you. Especially when you're strapped like this and you don't have the ability to offer money to other players. And for them to use their mid-level exception on another undersized, very athletic, tons of potential, but for them to use that slot on a player like Lonnie Walker, who I like, who's a fine young player, the upside of the of the signing is great. Because he's a great athlete. He has extended stretches where he shoots the ball well. And then overall, he's pretty inconsistent. I think he's a career 34% shooter. Can get into can get into the lane, can defend when he's really committed. All that stuff is great. The problem is, is are you certain, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Lonnie Walker can close basketball games for you in the second round of the playoffs? I don't know. And that, to me, makes it the wrong use of those resources. The one thing I will throw the bone to Rob Palenka, how many times have I preached about old plotting centers and how useless they are in this NBA and how I almost prefer a 6'10 guy to a 7-foot guy who can run and can cover ground. You need to be able to get up and down the floor and transition when teams play fast. You need to be able to cover ground in five out. Damian Jones is that guy. I watched him play for the Lakers two years ago before they dumped him for Andre Drummond. He was a great fit while he was there. He was really good towards the end of the year in Sacramento last year. I will say that that was the right direction for them to go at the center position. But I just I just can't believe that they didn't use that mid-level exception slot on a on a on a more traditional wing. So you've obviously talked a lot about the need, not just for Lakers, but across the league of having those guys wings in the six six to six nine range who can guard multiple positions and obviously all three of these guys are on the low end of that spectrum if not below that spectrum they are really long like abnormally so i think all three of the wings have six ten plus wingspans we've also talked about how part of what made the warriors so strong this year for example is just that they had good basketball players guys who were smart who made good decisions who played hard jta i think has those traits troy brown jr is not a great basketball player, but he has some of the playmaking, some of the two-way abilities. So do you have any positive thoughts in terms of, you know, outside of Lonnie Walker with those other two wings, investing, obviously, very little resources in guys who at least are in kind of the right mold, or how how comfortable would you say you are with those two signings specifically? Well, what's funny about it, too, is I swear Rob Palenka just like listens to all the Twitter trolls and then does the exact opposite <laughs> of whatever he did the previous season. It's like, it's like, oh, we lost to the Suns and no one could shoot, no one could score. It's like, okay, I'm getting all guards and wings that don't guard and only play offense, you know? And then it's like uh, the entire narrative last year was they're too old, they're washed up. And so now it's all mm-hmm. young, freaky, athletic guys that, you know, that have all this potential. And, you know, as far as the uh, uh, their limited offensive skill goes, you know, this is the issue. When you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the roster, let's forget about Kyrie Irving for a second who I believe will be a Laker. If you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your roster, you're going to pack the paint. 
That's just it's the only thing you can do. You can't hope to contain them any other way. It's what every team did this last year. It's what every team did the year before. It's what every team uh, did the year before that. So you constantly find your guys in closeout situations. And in closeout situations, you need to do one of two things really well. You either need to be a dead-eye three-point shooter, which Troy Brown Jr. is not, Juan Toscano Anderson is not, and Lonnie Walker is not. Or you need to be a very, very smart, savvy closeout attacker. I want you guys to think about like a Andre Iguodala for something like that. You know, think about an Otto Porter Jr. These are guys that are not, you know, necessarily overly athletic at this phase of their careers, but you can count on them to rip through when the guy closes out on them, get into the lane, collapse the defense, and make the next read. And that sort of that sort of closeout attacking, that those making those reads requires a great deal of experience and savvy and basketball IQ. Not to say that those guys won't be able to do that one day, but it's really hard to do. There's a reason why Juan Toscano Anderson fell out of the rotation for the Warriors. It's because the Warriors typically are running a ton of four on three as a result of Steph Curry traps and the overall chaos that is caused by the Splash Brothers. And Juan Toscano Anderson was less reliable as an intelligent decision maker in those situations. Doesn't mean they won't have moments. Anytime you have young athletic players like this, they will have moments. There will be a game where the Lakers beat the shit out of a good team and Juan Toscano Anderson has 15 and Lonnie Walker is 18 and they're locking up and everything looks great. But with young players, it's always about consistency. They struggle to identify the things that are working for them so that they can replicate them. And they struggle to identify the things that are not working for them so that they can get them out of you know their list of habits. So it's just it's one of those things where I wish Rob Polinka would just kind of learn all the lessons from all of the things that happened over the last couple of years and build a more well-rounded roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the traditional free agency signing of the day, if you will, and one that we've heard a lot about because obviously the pure market wasn't overwhelmingly intriguing for this year, but Jalen Brunson was the name that kept coming up and the Knicks were the team that kept coming up being attached to him. It seems as if he has very least headed to the Knicks on a four-year close to $110 million deal. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market. 
as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. So, Jason, what are your thoughts on that? Do you love it or hate it? Well, I hate it. But the, the, this <laughs> the situation is is super interesting because like, uh, we don't really know what's happening. It seems like everyone's reporting that he's going to the Knicks, but then we got that weird Adrian Wojnarowski tweet that he's going to meet with the Knicks armed with a five-year, $106 million deal from the Mavericks. So here's the one thing we know for sure. Jalen Brunson is going to be very rich <laughs> after after today or whenever this all gets, gets settled. As far as the Knicks go, I just don't understand with a brand as big as the Knicks, with the theoretic capa theoretical capability they have to be able to bring big name free agents, if they could just demonstrate consistent competence, and like this is a six one guard who is not an all star or close to an all star, he was a pretty good playoff player in specific matchups. He was very good against the Jazz was good for stretches against Phoenix, was good for stretches against Golden State, but he also struggled for stretches in both of those series. Everybody struggles to the, in the playoffs to a certain extent, so you don't want to overread into that, but he was also doing it against bench lineups primarily or against the secondary defender as Luka was gathering the best defender. Going against or going into New York, he will get the best perimeter defender every single night. He will be going against first units primarily. He'll be in the Luka Doncic role. And here's the thing. It's very likely that he puts up decent numbers, but that this team has a clearly defined ceiling. And that probably is first round exit in an Eastern conference that has a team as good as Miami, a team as good as Boston, a team as good as Milwaukee, and his team as good as Philly. So the way the, the problem that I have with it, if I'm the Knicks, like, man, keep developing your young players. Do what the Lakers did. Keep developing your young players. Have your Brandon Ingram, your Kyle Kuzma, your Josh Hart, you know, your your Lonzo Ball. Have them all ready and keep that cap space open some, each passing summer so that you have the ability to get a real big name free agent and then flip the rest of your young players for one of his buddies. It's a proven method. <laughs> we saw the Clippers do it. We saw the Lakers do it. it. It works. It is a proven method. And I just don't understand this like, it's like a race to mediocrity. It's like they're sprinting fast as they possibly can to lose to to Boston in the first round next year. I just don't understand the the idea. And I like Jalen Brunson. It's just, and I'm happy that he's getting paid. It's just as we're, as looking from the perspective of the Knicks, I just don't understand what their goal is. I completely agree with you. I think Brunson is very good. I think he's fundamentally a willing pl winning player. He does a lot of things really well, but. 
it's an overpay and it's especially an overpay given the direction of the franchise. So if you were the Knicks, how would you have gone about this offseason? Like what would be the direction to take from your perspective? So, I mean, well, look at what the Lakers did over the last couple of years. Essentially, they only tie up their core players that they know are part of their future, right? So they had LeBron tied up, Anthony Davis tied up. Outside of that, there was no big money any, anywhere else on the uh, uh, on the roster, and they consistently signed their supporting pieces to one-year deals. So you can essentially rotate them through each passing summer. It's okay to be towards the bottom of the league as long as you're demonstrating competence. If you have a good coach, if you guys play hard every single night, if you're competitive, if you draft well, and if you show you demonstrate to the rest of the league that you're building something. What happened with the Lakers in 2019? They demonstrated to LeBron over the previous years, because here's the thing, the Lakers are an absolute shit show, as everybody knows. But they have one department in their front office that's one of the best in the league, and that's their college scouting department. They consistently, year in and year out, find high-quality NBA players on the margins. This past year, they did it again with Austin Reeves. It makes you really wonder what this Max Christie kid can do, because it's like, he's a kid who didn't shoot well at Michigan State, and I think he only averaged like nine points a game, and you're like, you almost can just bet that he's going to be a rotation player for the Lakers next year because that's just what they do. So that one piece of competence in the Lakers front office demonstrated over a half decade that they knew how to accumulate quality young players that the rest of the league wanted, and then they kept their cap space open. And then when LeBron came, they immediately flipped all of the assets for Anthony Davis. You can absolutely do something like that. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you had all this cap space open and you went after Bradley Beal. And Bradley Beal already signed with the Wizards. I just want to give you guys an example of what I'm talking about. Bradley Beal is really good friends with the Jason Tatum, right? Let's pretend, you know, the uh, something things didn't go as well with the Celtics last year. You sign a Beal and Beal goes, Tatum's my best friend. Let's trade for him. Again, that's not going to happen, but there are little friendships like that all around the league. All you have to do is catch the right free agent in the right summer and the right friend who's in a situation where he's not overly happy and have the requisite assets to make the trade. If you can pull off those three things just like that, you can have the star talent you need to compete. And again, this is not Milwaukee. This is not Oklahoma City. You don't have to you know, build on the margins and hope that things break your way. You are the New York freaking Knicks, okay? You absolutely, if you can demonstrate competence, you absolutely provide these players with a world stage, the mecca of basketball, the all of the history that comes along with it. You can absolutely pull these huge personalities in the NBA. You just have to kind of have, uh, you got to have the opportunity ready each passing summer as these guys come available. As we all know, it just depends on which which particular summer you catch and you catch the right star who's ready to make that move. All right, well, we do have word from Woj now confirming, Jason. It is a four-year, $104 million deal for Brunson with the Knicks with a player option on the final season. So there you go, the March towards That's mediocrity. That's good for him. I'm glad, I'm glad he got all that money, man. He's going to be rich. He, I'm happy for Jalen. This is not a Jalen take. This is a yeah. This is a New York Knicks take. Yeah, and I don't think anybody can really be opposed to a New York Knicks take. So you mentioned Bradley <laughs> Beal there. In the example that you gave with him and Tatum, he did, of course, sign the Supermax to stay in Washington, or at least to be paid by Washington, five years, $251 million. Jason, do you love or do you hate that move? 
it makes sense for both sides. It's very similar to what happened with Giannis, right? Like Giannis is a little bit unhappy with how things are going. You know, Milwaukee can provide him the the biggest, most financially lucrative contract. And so you basically just sign the guy and you tell Giannis like, hey man, two years go by and this isn't going well, we'll trade you. But then maybe things break well and you win a championship and now he's going to be there forever, right? Like that's that's kind of the way it can break the other way. But like if you're the Wizards, you never want to lose the asset for nothing. You sign him. If things aren't going well around the deadline and you're way below 500 or next year's deadline or whatever it is, you can at that point trade Bradley Beal and get some sort of asset return for him. If you're Bradley, this is just where all the money is. You take all the money and you have that flexibility. This is where that cachet matters. And this is what I'm so curious about with the Brooklyn Nets as it pertains to KD and Kyrie. You know, we have seen that franchises when they feel a sense of loyalty from a player that they're willing to work with them but when you burn that bridge and the working relationship suffers they're less willing to do you favors and Bradley Beal has built up a great deal of cachet with the Wizards obviously I don't have intel on this but I would be willing to bet that the conversation was hey dude sign with us you've been so good to us when you're ready to go, we'll ship you off. And if you give us a list of three or four teams that you like, we'll get you to one of those three or four teams based on who gives up the most assets. To me, that's kind of like the new modern day free agency where you're basically just, you're chasing the money and getting that sort of uh, uh, you know freedom of choice from the trade market. All right. Well, Jason, we've got a Lakers related move to get your thoughts on here. Malik Monk, the Kings for two years, $19 million. Do you love or do you hate that? So <laughs> I, I would love it for the Lakers if they didn't promptly go sign another small guard with the mid-level exception. My whole theory was this entire Laker offseason was you have to, even though I love Malik Monk's game and he deserves every penny of that deal, with this particular Lakers roster, he did not fit a specific need for them. His there was a there was a a diminished return on his specific skill set because of their uh, perimeter size weaknesses. So I wanted them to use the mid level exception on a bigger forward because that was their specific weakness. That's where I wanted them to allocate those resources. Same goes for the Kings in this case. You've already got a small guard in Deer and Fox. That's already an issue there. Okay, and so from that standpoint. Like, I don't like the idea of partnering. And I get, I get it, the Kentucky connection and those guys are good buddies and all that stuff. If you're the Kings, you just put a hard ceiling on your own individual or your own team success. Because in this league, perimeter size does matter. Your ability to contain ball handlers on the perimeter matters. And night in and night out around the league, just like Malik was attacked to the Lakers and just like De'Aaron Fox is, is still attacked to this day, they're going to struggle to contain teams on the perimeter, especially in the Western Conference, which is freaking loaded with guards. What if Kyrie comes, man? It's going to be Jamal Murray one night, Kyrie Irving the next night, Steph Curry the following night, Damian Lillard the next night. Like that's, It's going to be night after night of dominant guard, and you don't have the perimeter defensive pieces to contain that. Okay, so you're going to... Um, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. What's the little guard they signed last year? Uh, the kid out of Louisville. Do you remember? Um the, the little Kings? stocky defensive guard. Yeah, the Kings. Uh, it, it's, uh, oh man, uh, Mitchell, uh, Davion Mitchell. So oh. like Davion Mitchell, great defensive player, right? So you put him out there to help a dribble contain. And, and now you got to bench Malik. 
or are you playing three tiny guards? You know, like I just, I don't, as is always the case with the Kings, I just don't understand what their plan is. And, and like you literally, um, uh, Ivy was there for the taken taking at the draft. And then you took the plotting forward who would have made more sense with a team that's closer to the, to the title. You know what I mean? So I just, the Kings are going to Kings. That's what we said after the draft. And, and again, I'm really happy for Malik that he got paid. I just think he would have made more sense going to a team that already had a great deal of size on the perimeter so that you can compensate for his specific size weakness. Well, like you, I have quite an affinity for Malik's game individually, but the Kings, not unlike the Knicks, I agree, continue on the march to mediocrity, and this deal is a continuation <laughs> of that. For a team that is actually in contending mode, we've got an interesting move. The Bucks bring in Joe Ingles with their mid-level exception, obviously coming off of his injury. Jason, do you love that or do you hate that? I love it. Again, you, the the playoffs don't lie; they reveal everything, and you got to pay attention to what that you know all revealing playoff run will show you. What did we learn about the Bucks this year? Obviously, Chris Middleton's injury was a big impact there, but there was where was the weak spot in the rotation? Kind of felt like it was Grayson Allen, right? Kind of felt like a little bit of like Pat Connaughton inconsistency, right? What you need is another guy who can guard on the perimeter. Now, Joel Ingles is coming off an injury, so it remains to be seen. But I mean, this is a player that before he got hurt was as reliable of a 3 and D guy that you'll find in the league. This is the guy that completely shut down Paul George when they upset the Oklahoma City Thunder a few years back. Like This guy is a very good perimeter defensive player with size. He was a lights-out three-point shooter. And most importantly, like we talked about earlier, Carson, when you have guys that force you to pack the paint. And Giannis might literally might literally be the quintessential player that fits this mold in the entire league. Boston was literally ignoring everybody on Milwaukee to clog the paint on Giannis. And in game seven, they just couldn't make a shot. Having a guy like Joe Ingles who can knock down the shot and is an intelligent closeout attacker, a guy that can get into the lane and make smart reads to other perimeter players on kickouts, I loved it. This to me is an example of using your mid-level exception on a player that addresses a specific need and that you know can play in a playoff series. I know Joe Ingles can be your fifth player in a closing lineup. Not sure that Lonnie Walker can be that. So just again, this is a smart team behaving smarter than the other teams around the league. I loved Ingles to the Bucks. Yeah, and he will be 35, and I did think he regressed a bit even pre-injury, but two years ago, I thought he should have been the sixth man of the year, genuinely. I mean, he is a winning basketball player to the extreme. And so to get that with the MLE is pretty good. All right. Last specific couple of moves here that we're going to get your take on before we go to some questions, Jason. The Philadelphia 76ers brought in PJ Tucker for three years, 33 million, and Daniel House for two years, eight and a half. Do you love that or do you hate that for Philly? I love it. First of all, guys, before we uh, before I finish this particular take, remember, we are about to do a mailbag. So if you guys have any questions about anything related to free agency, please drop it into the chat and we will get to it here in just a minute. Um, the numbers seem big, right? Particularly for Tucker, three years, 33 million. It was the biannual exception on Daniel House. Uh, that means it hard caps the team. So I'll be curious to see if that uh, restricts some of their flexibility as they get closer to the deadline um, this year. But at the end of the day, again, the playoffs are all revealing. What did we learn about the 76ers this year? I felt like they were soft. 
I felt like they struggled against a very tough team in Miami to match their intensity, to match their competitiveness. When you when the star of your team is a Joel Embiid, who is a foul grifter, relatively inefficient in terms of putting the ball in the basket compared to other bigs around the league, guy who relies on janky basketball and can be pouty and can be dramatic and can fall on the ground a lot. And then your other star is James Harden, who arguably is the least, you know, in terms of like the fight or flight response, he might be closer to flight than any superstar star in this entire league. You need somebody to help bolster their own psychological weaknesses. And so I love the idea of bringing in PJ Tucker and Daniel House, two just tough SOBs, dude, just tough dudes that are just going to come in there and compete. And when a team like Miami comes and punches them in the mouth, even if James Harden and Joel Embiid struggle to match that with their competitiveness, you know damn well P.J. Tucker and Daniel House are going to be right in there barking back, getting in their faces, being physical, and doing the things necessary to try to wrest that battle back into their favor. You know, Draymond, I that Draymond uh, J.J. Redick pod was so interesting the other day, and and J.J. Redick was, he was, I don't know if you heard this part, Carson, but J.J. Redick was giving uh, Draymond crap for his antics in the finals. And at one point, he's like, why are you such a dick? You know, and, J- and Draymond's like defending himself. <laughs> but you know what's funny is what Draymond was saying was true. Because they were showing some of the clips of him like doing ridiculous stuff in the finals, fouling the hell out of people. There's some truth to what Draymond was saying. When there's someone on the court doing that stuff, it rattles people. It does like I know Jalen Brown doesn't believe it, and I know he pushed back on it again on it today. That kind of thing does rattle people. It gets in your head, and the Sixers needed needed people like that in their locker room, people that are willing to fight back in that department to help win that mental battle. Because you're just not going to get that type of fight response from Embiid and from Harden. I agree with you completely there, and I think we've seen that time and again. All right, so let's get to the mailbag here because we've got some good KD stuff, some theoretical trades. We'll start with this from from Taylor O'Neill. Jason, should the Nets send KD to the Rockets for their draft picks back plus some young projects? Oh, man, that'd be so mean to KD. (laughs) (laughs) That would be vicious. Well, again, this is is where we get into the cachet stuff because, like, like if I was Brooklyn and I really wanted to stir the pot, especially because, you know, we're also coming up on some CBA negotiations here relatively soon. And the word around the league is, is that the owners are going to be trying to wrest back some control. That would be one hell of a power move from Brooklyn to ship uh, KD off to NBA Siberia in Houston. <laughs> Here's the thing. There's absolutely no reason for Houston to do it because they don't have enough uh, talent to make a run with KD. And I believe that Brooklyn can get better young players elsewhere around the league. So as I, I get why as a Houston fan, that might be interesting. It just is completely unrealistic. And quite frankly, it, like I'm sure KG's, KD's agent would throw an absolute fit. <laughs> All right. How about this one, Jason? KD to the Pacers for Malcolm Brogdon, Miles Turner, TJ Warren, TJ McConnell, and three first-round picks. That's a lot of money, so you're going to have to throw some stuff in with KD there. But what do you think of that in theory? 
And then we're going we're going at it with KD and Tyrese Halliburton at that point. <laughs> I just yes. I, I, again same th- same same thing as the Rockets. Like it's it's one of those things where it burns the bridge with KD because him and his agent are going to be pissed. You shipped him off somewhere where he can't win. The the Pacers are still not going to win. And if I'm uh, if I'm the Nets, I'm not getting enough back for that to really move the needle. Like even all of that, I'd rather have Scotty Barnes. Even all of that. I'd rather have Zion Williamson. I'd rather have even some of those theoretical packages from Phoenix involving Aiton and Bridges. I'd rather have those. Yeah, well, like you said, all 30 teams are calling, and I'm sure all 30 fan bases want to try to find a way to get KD in there. (laughs) What do you think is the single least logical or perhaps cruelest location for KD to go in the league? Oh, I got one for you, Carson. Okay. Okay. Kevin Durant, in exchange for Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, and Moses Moody. <laughs> and we run it back. Uh, KD on the Warriors <laughs> would be scary, man. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Can someone Photoshop a couple of those Woo! really quick for us? No, I was thinking about that the other day because, like, I, I, I don't think the Nets would do it because, I mean, I know the Warriors fans love their young prospects and Colin Coward in particular is very high on Jonathan Kaminga. And I like Jonathan Kaminga too. He's just not a home run. None of those guys, none of their young players are sure things. And I would imagine that Brooklyn will be able to fetch a a sure thing. But that is an interesting idea in the sense that like, you know, the basketball fit is great. And I'm sure the Warriors would make that trade. It's just just one of those things where uh, I just think they'll end up getting something else elsewhere. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Though. Oh wait, can and I can Katie, I throw out one? Yeah. So I got roasted the other day for my proposed Lakers Nets trade, and I understand the skepticism because I and again, guys, this is fake trade season. All almost everything we're saying is unlikely, so I'm not over here trying to to be prescient or anything. But I am genuinely curious to see when it's all said and done, and the moves are made whether or not Brooklyn gets much more than Anthony Davis, the 2027 first and the 2029 first. Mm -hmm. Because you have to think, even if you didn't think Anthony Davis was in your timeline, Brooklyn could theoretically flip him for a huge package, right? And so it's one of those things where, like, again, it's super unlikely, but that Russ and AD and the two firsts for KD and, and Kyrie... I just, it's not as insane as everyone thought it was, is all I'm going to say. That's, I, 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 it's not likely, not put my name behind it, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think it was that outlandish. <laughs> all right, well, let's take a quick break from some KD talk here to look at a team that was on the biggest NBA stage this year and fell just a little bit short, and that, of course, is the Boston Celtics. So, we got this question from Stilo Green. Jason. Who do you think the Celtics should look to bring in to help the core guys on their roster? So the big one that stood out to me, and there's some intel in this department already. The intel is that they're targeting TJ Warren and uh, Danilo Gallinari, but I think both of those guys want the mid-level exception. um, And they may end up going somewhere where they can get a little bit more of a bigger role. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is a name that I've thrown out that I'd love for the Warriors to get um, in terms of a great way for them to elevate their ceiling. The the Celtics need ball handling and they need someone who can, can consistently get shots at the rim. So this year, 
I can't remember the numbers exactly off the top of my head, but Danilo Gallinari had about 140 something post-ups, 146 post-ups, I think. And he was about 56% from the field in those situations, got to the line 38 times, made 36 of them, only had 10 turnovers. He was one of the more efficient post-up players in the league this year in a decent volume. He was doing over two post-ups per game. I liked him as an option that, you know, theoretically, if you've got Marcus Smart on the floor, Jason Tatum on the floor, Jalen Brown on the floor, and they're ball pressuring the hell out of those guys. Danilo Gallinari is probably going to fetch a slower forward that's going to struggle with ball pressure. So you could see him as a guy who they could use as a release valve to bring the ball up the floor. When they're struggling to get into the paint because guys are sitting on their right hands, you could throw the ball into the post to Danilo Gallinari. And again, post-ups that draw double teams are another great way to get into your driving kick game. And driving kick is where Boston's at their best. So uh, again, they're, they're all they're going to have at their disposal is going to be you know veteran minimum contracts and mid level exception type stuff. They're all all of their players in the rotation are under team control this year. Grant Williams has got a team option, but I, they either already picked it up or they're going to. Um, but the the guy that I'd be looking at there is Danilo Gallinari on the mid level exception. Okay, I said we were going to take a break from KD. I hope that was enough to recharge you because we've got another KD question. This one from <laughs> Nino Verde Leon. Is it possible that KD wants to join the Suns besides the fact that they have Book and CP already because he'll have his new super team in the West and therefore get a chance to beat LeBron and Steph in the same playoff run and win the championship in that style? Do you think that's a factor, Jason? I don't because, I mean, for those of you guys who listened to the beginning, I think the valuable lesson that KD learned here is that he can't control the narrative. And as much as he tried to in Brooklyn, as much as, much as he put that at the top of his list of priorities, it ended up being the wrong way for him to go about this. I think KD cares about one thing and one thing only moving forward, and that's basketball. And I think he would pick a destination based on the potential basketball fit. Phoenix and Miami, what were they compared to the rest of the league? Phoenix, we said most of the year was the most talented roster from top to bottom, not counting their stars, right? And Miami is basically Golden State East without enough talent. KD, in theory, fixes those problems for both of the teams. The problem is, is like we talked about earlier, I'm just not sure if I'm Brooklyn that I'm getting anything back there that moves the needle for me. So as we learned, because of an obscure CBA rule having to do with the designated rookie extension, the Miami Heat cannot send Bam Adebayo to the Brooklyn because they already have Ben Simmons on the roster. I mean, I mean, I, I suppose they, in theory, could send Ben as well in the trade, but it would get a lot more complicated. So it's like, is Tyler Harrow and some draft picks from a team that's going to perennially be good? Is that moving the needle if you're Brooklyn? No, probably not. And then DeAndre Ayton, Phoenix doesn't want him. You know, you heard some noise from Detroit, but then they didn't want him. Why? Because just like the NBA, just like the NFL figured out that running backs were kind of a market inefficiency that you could get 80% of Ezekiel Elliott for 20% of the salary, you can do the same thing with centers in the NBA. Damian Jones for the Lakers will be, you know, what, 60, 70% as good as a Clint Capella for a veteran minimum? Like that's that's just what you're getting at when that role, when that position on the floor screens and dives to the rim and sits in the dunker spot and guards in drop coverage and occasionally guards a guy on a switch and doesn't do anything else, then 
an A++ at all those things is only a little bit better than a B- at all of those things. And so I just don't, if I'm Brooklyn, the idea of getting back DeAndre Ayton on a super max or a max, excuse me, it doesn't make much sense. And then, you know, Mikhail Bridges, you and I talked all year, Carson, about what it might look like if he had an opportunity to do more offensively. He had that opportunity against Dallas and he couldn't really do it. And I really like Mikhail Bridges and I do think he will get better. But to me, his peak will be kind of like what Andrea Iguodala was for the 2015 Warriors. A really, really dominant perimeter defensive player that can have scoring punches and will be a smart, you know, third, fourth option. But I just don't ever see him being that guy. And so it's just as much as those destinations are KD's preferred destination, they'd have to give up too much talent to get him. And then they'd be right back in the same predicament. And then most importantly, if I'm Brooklyn, I can just get more elsewhere. So I think you make some really interesting points about Aiton there and just how he sort of relates to the state of the NBA overall that we will get back to in one second. But before we do that, just looking at KD's path, if he were to end up in Phoenix specifically, right, where they literally had the best record in the league this past year, or even Miami, where it's a reigning one seed, do you think there's an argument that he closes his path to being a top 10 player of all time if his championship resume is joined a 73-9 and most talented team ever, won a couple rings there, tried to build a super team, failed miserably, then goes and joins the best record in the NBA, even if they give up some talent to get him? Like, how much stock could you put into rings that he continues to win in that fashion compared to if he had actually had to fight an uphill battle from this point forward in Brooklyn? Or if he goes to a Pelicans or a Raptors where, yes, he's asking out, but he's not going to teams that were at the absolute top of the league this past year. So the problem is, is I think the damage is already done. But to KD's credit, I really think he's come to terms with that. Like, I think he's at peace with it. I think he knows that he'll never get the amount of credit he deserved in Golden State. I think he knows, and we did a whole, uh, I did a whole thing on this the other day, but like the, 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 the revisionist history with those Warriors teams to where it's because they won in this 2022 season, all of a sudden KD is being erased from the 2017, 2018 seasons. I agreed with Draymond. Like I think the Warriors lose in 2017 if if the uh, um, if the Cavs run it back and the Warriors don't get KD. It's really this simple. Hey, Warriors fans, did you guys think you were way better than the Celtics because you won three games in a row at the end? Yeah, you probably do. Well, the Cavs beat you three times in a row in 2016. They kind of figured you out. And to Draymond's credit, and I thought I thought Draymond was wrong when he said that 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 uh, Steph couldn't create a shot back then. But he is right about the fact that Steph has gotten a lot better. Steph is Steph is doing to teams what he did in 2016, even though they're much better at defending him now. That's the credit to mm-hmm. Steph. As defensive as defenses have evolved, he's evolved with them. As far as KD goes, though, it's like, dude, there is no version of this story that ends with you not having those fair or unfair those marks on your resume. So, like, my thing is like, dude, if you can't win the court of public opinion win the trophies because the trophies last forever. You know, they they can't ever take those away from you. So I would continue to pursue the best available basketball situation and say, screw the narratives, 
screw all the talking heads that are that are beating you down. The Warriors fans, they're never going to like you the same way they used to ever again anyway, so who cares? You know, like at this point, dude, control what you can control, which is what happens on the basketball court. Go out there and win all the trophies. All right, we've got one last hypothetical KD scenario for you. This one, courtesy of Mike H., who says, KD liked his time in the Pacific Northwest when he was in Seattle. What are the odds he gets traded to Portland, and how good could they be? So the the fit I love him and Dame, you know, I I I like the direction Portland has been going, targeting wings. The Jeremy Grant fit is awesome. The problem is once again, Portland just will not be able to hang in the uh um in the actual bidding war that's about to take place. Like they just don't have any realistic prospects that are going to like Anthony Simons played really well last year really started to blossom, but he just signed that big fat deal, which I don't think he's going to be able to be. I don't even think he's legally allowed to be traded until this year's deadline. And most importantly, if I'm Brooklyn, is Anthony Simons moving the needle for me? No. And in terms of draft picks, they don't have the same amount of picks that they can offer compared to some of these other teams in the league. Actually, Carson, I got one for you. Yeah. What if, what if the Boston Celtics traded every single pick they had and Jalen Brown for Kevin Durant. Wow. What would you I, do? I think that that would be a win-win, genuinely. Right? I mean... Like, why I, is it know, that one getting talked about more? <laughs> that's a good question. I, I think that Jalen may not be, like, you know, number one guy building block, but he's very good number two guy building block. He's all-star caliber player already, and you get the future draft assets. Although, obviously, those picks probably won't be great, but I think for Boston, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you're giving up a current, you know, all-star level scoring wing for an all-time great scoring wing. So, mm -hmm. that's interesting. That's very interesting. But but let's let's just let's frame it like this. That's a that's a package that probably won't get the deal done that is way better than anything Portland can offer that is way yeah. better than anything you know these other teams that we've thrown out can offer like even to me that's a better package than what Miami or Phoenix can offer like if you're a GM would you rather have Jalen Brown under team control for with a long contract that's a max or DeAndre Ayton I want Jalen Brown yeah do you want Tyler Harrow or do you want Jalen Brown I want Jalen Brown so like to me like that's that's an example of like the way this like this bidding war should result in the largest return in the history of NBA trades. And so that's where we need to frame this. Like we just presented a trade of Jalen Brown and a, a ton of first round picks and that probably doesn't get it done. That's the way that we got to look at this. Like it's just that's why that's why my brain keeps going to Toronto and to New Orleans. Like if I'm Brooklyn and I can get Zion Williamson in a bunch of picks or I can get, you know, uh, uh, Scotty Barnes in a bunch of picks. That to me is going to beat anything else because I'm getting a bona fide superstar prospect and I'm sending KD to a good basketball situation. And, uh, you know, it just, and to me, to me, those are the directions that I'd look uh, over the course of the next couple of days. All right, guys, that is all we have for tonight. I'm headed down to Mexico with my uh, wife for the next four days, but I'm bringing all my stuff with me. So uh, you might, as, if anything crazy happens, you guys will get some sort of reaction uh, as I'm going to finally get a chance to relax. It's been a wild couple of months with a whole lot of basketball. 
and I'm actually excited to take a little bit of a break. That's it. Any big signings, any big trades, any anything, I promise I will get at least something up on YouTube for you guys. Um, as has always been the case, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting us and supporting the show, and I will see you guys in a couple of days. volume. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.